Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye and I hope you had a good break and I hope you're ready for a fresh start this year. Of course, it being January, it being 2022, we are discussing all things New Year, New You, trying to give you um, an antidote to the dark diet culture chat right now. And so this this first guest of the year I think was the perfect person to have on. I'm joined by Caroline Duna. You may know Caroline as being the author of the book The Fuck It Diet which I thoroughly recommend, like thoroughly recommend. Um, And if you haven't heard my previous episode with Caroline where we're specifically talking about that book you can find it back in the archives from May 2020 I think, May or June 2020. Um, but this time we are chatting about, of course we're chatting about the pressure for New Year's resolutions, but we're also chatting about her new book, which is called Tired As Fuck, which is all about Caroline taking two years of rest and what that means and how we need rest and how that is part of the healing process. Just, we have, I mean, Caroline and I can always chat for days. So um, I pre- I hope you appreciate this conversation. Um, and I hope you really appreciate appreciate her insights because Caroline is brilliant. But before we get into that, just a few reminders I need to check in with you about. Firstly, thank you to all of those who supported the release of the Train Happy Journal in the UK. If you're starting your 30 days to kickstart your intuitive movement journal practice this month, Hi, I'm so excited for you um, and I want to be there to support you as well. So if you are interested in the Train Happy Journal and it doesn't matter when you're starting, you know, you don't even have to do it daily. You can really take it at your own pace. But if you want some support around that, you can find the Train Happy Journal Facebook group and please join that please find us and if you also want more help and support then you can also sign up to my newsletter which you will find at tallyride.co.uk and you can just scroll down find my newsletter box and sign up there if you want to stay in the loop and you'll also find the information for the 2022 Greece train happy retreats I'm so excited to be going away with you next year it's not till September and I'm feeling optimistic um, and I'm really excited that we can get together in the gorgeous sunshine surrounded by crystal blue waters and really talk about intuitive movement intuitive eating body image and really have that kind of group setting where we can really focus on healing but also have a holiday you know and just have a bit of self-care so if you want to know more about that you can find information about that in the information box and it's not the introduction without train happy trooper of the week so this week's train happy moment comes from Sophia and Sophia says I decided a couple of months ago to start cycling to work with my folding bike I would track 
there and back every time, even though I knew the distance and time, I felt people on Strava needed to know. This week, when I went to set off on my cycle, I left my Garmin alone. Cycling is for me. I didn't need to know the calories, burnt, or the pace. I set off on my cycle, enjoying the morning sunrise at the top of the hill once I reached it, walking my bike up. Finally, no guilt in needing a walking break either. Sophia, thank you so much for sending that train happy moment in. I think that's so apt for giving ourselves permission to rest, which we get into in today's episode. But also, I think if there's one thing you take away from the train happy journal and just generally this year, it is like, how does it feel to train without without tracking your workout, without knowing numbers, without having to prove it to other people by recording it on apps like Strava? How does that feel? And so I think that is a great demonstration of stepping outside your comfort zone and just challenging yourself and seeing how you feel about it. Um, and so I really appreciate you sharing that with us. If you want to know more about Sophia, you can see her feature on our Instagram page, which is at Train Happy Podcast. And if you want to be Train Happy Trooper of the Week, you can also direct message us on the podcast page at Train Happy Podcast again. Um, and please just say, I want to be Train Happy Trooper of the Week and we'll take care of the rest. Um, because we love to hear your stories, your train happy moments, and we want to keep including you in the podcast. Okay enough of me because um you want to hear from caroline and so let's get into our first episode of the year our first chat of the year with caroline duna enjoy caroline welcome back should i say to the train (laughs) happy podcast it has been a while we first spoke in 2020 how are you oh my goodness 2020 was that when was that early 2020 or was that mid madness? We it was mid madness. <laughs> I think it was probably about June 2020. I would say. Oh my! Oh my! Yes. Well, I'm okay. I- I've survived. I'm. I'm. I'm doing the best I can. Um, yeah. Who, who would have thought we'd still be in this all, all this all this time later? I know, I know, <laughs> and it's just, uh, and it looks like we're probably going to be in it for a while longer as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be back. Thank you so much for having me back on. My pleasure. Um, I know last time we had a mammoth conversation, and I, I kind of am preempting that we're probably going to have a similar um, chat today, but for those of you who don't know you want to catch up on all things Caroline um they may be familiar with your book the fuck it diet but you've got your new book out tired as fuck which I think is such to me as someone who's gone through a very similar journey of you of really healing your relationship with food and figuring that stuff out this Mm -hmm. is so the, the logical next step and discussing this idea of kind of productivity and hustle culture and this need for rest I think is yeah I'm kind of like coming to this stuff on my own as well so right right intrigued in hearing like I feel like you're maybe like you know a step ahead so I am I'm interested in in what you kind of have to say on all this but if you want to explain what the fuck it is very quickly for people yes um 
I think that'd be great to give people kind of context on you and, and your work. Yes. Yes. So the fuck it diet is a book that I wrote that came out in 2019, um, all about our collective cultural relationship with food and diets and our weight and the misconceptions and myths and unhelpful beliefs we have about how that all works and why we feel so dysfunctional with food, why so many of us feel addicted to food, the science behind that, and then what to do about it. And it's a very, very anti-diet approach. It breaks down why this is not working, why we feel like it's our fault, but it's actually not our fault. And then what we can do about it. Um, and it was born out of my own experience, my own terrible, <laughs> terrible experience <laughs> with chronic dieting and disordered eating. And, you know, that, that spectrum of disordered eating to eating disorder, you know, it's hard to know at this point, like where I actually fell on that spectrum, but a lot of us are on the spectrum of disordered oh, yeah. eating to an eating disorder. And the line is very fuzzy and, sometimes it doesn't really matter. What matters is that we need help and we need to overhaul our relationship with food. And it's really hard in the culture that we live in. Um, so I had this epiphany. It's honestly, it's almost exactly 10 years ago, uh, nine years and 11 months ago, I had an epiphany that I, I'd already been like, really, really, really intensely obsessively chronically dieting for 10 years before that I felt like a food addict. I thought I was a food addict. I was a binge eater. I couldn't stop thinking about food. I had no control around food. I would be so religious on my diet and then just totally blow it after a couple months, sometimes even a couple weeks, sometimes a couple days. And, um, I've been just trying, trying new diets and, you know, new doctors and new, you know, just like I was so dedicated and I could not figure it out. And I was yo-yoing so much with food. I was yo-yoing so much with weight. And I just had this one last epic, horrible binge on all of these paleo treats that I baked for myself that were disgusting. It was my 24th birthday. So they were like my my birthday treats. Um, and I had this epiphany that, that this was going to keep happening. I was going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again for the rest of my life, unless I seriously, seriously changed the way I was approaching everything and stepped out of this diet cycle. And, you know, I tried to before the reason that I had awareness enough around it is because I'd already tried to start eating intuitively and I thought that I was, but I wasn't, I was turning it into a diet. I was still trying to lose weight. I still thought that if I was going to be eating intuitively, I'd be eating perfectly. And like, you know, I just had this, I, I idyllic, like idealized idea of what intuitive eating was supposed to look like. And I didn't understand that there was this very, for most people, dramatic kind of pendulum swing to like extremely hungry, needing lots of food, kind of needing to go to that other extreme that feels so scary to us because we don't think that we should. Um, but it's that it's a natural part of the healing process. So it became super clear to me. I'm saying so much more than I thought I was going to say about the fuck a day, but it became super clear to me in that moment that the reason I hadn't been able to heal my relationship with food is because I was until that point unwilling to heal my relationship with weight yes. and with my body. And I was totally unwilling to let myself gain weight, which is a really important part of the process. If not 
physically than emotionally in the very least to surrender to trusting your body and letting your body do what it needs to do in order to heal your relationship with food and have some trust with you and with the, 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 you know, a new way of operating that you're actually going to feed yourself and not continue to put yourself on diets. So I went, I, I went on this journey to heal my relationship with food kind of blind. Like I didn't, I didn't really know if there was science to back up what I was about to do. I knew that there was science to support intuitive eating, which I didn't realize was actually what I was trying to do, but I didn't understand that this kind of like refeeding kind of intense period was a part of the intuitive eating process. But very quickly I found science, the health at this, you know, the, the science that the health at every size movement refers to about our weight set ranges, about how we have body diversity, about how the best thing we can do for our health is to feed ourselves, take care of ourselves and not try to micromanage weight. Um, And once I found that, I was like, ah, off to the races. And I started writing about it on a blog called The Fuck It Diet. I was like, how does, how is nobody talking about this? How is, how is this something that I didn't learn until I like dug for it, you know, very specifically. And, and it was changing my relationship with food. It was like opening up so many things in my life. I started writing about it. And then that eventually became the fuck it diet and the rest is history. (laughs) And I recommend your book to so many people because I think you really tackle, I think in sometimes with intuitive eating and, you know, big fan of intuitive eating, I've done training in intuitive eating. Um, I think, I just think your kind of approach, um, sometimes just written by a person who's like in it and doing it and being there just really helps people, um, relate to that and feel like it's okay. Because like you say, that's, it's such a roadblock, that fear of your body changing. Um, it's such a roadblock and, you know, and sometimes you can hear people say like, you know, you just got to go for it. You just got to go for it. But until, you know, someone actually did just go for it. Um, right right yeah letting you go on that journey yourself is really encouraging yeah well that's so great to hear because you know in the beginning I finally come to accept that (laughs) that the book has a place you know in the beginning I had all this imposter syndrome I was like people want to read what I have to say about this and yet I am not a dietitian I'm not a therapist this is like my own personal experience with this, I finally accepted like, okay, (laughs) that has its place, you know, like that can be a helpful part of the process and a helpful thing to kind of, um, follow along with. But the other interesting thing about accepting weight is one of the things that I say in the fuck diet is, you know, even if you were able to go through this process, healing your relationship with food, letting yourself eat more food, working through your food fears and not gaining any weight, a lot of us think that that would be the ideal, you know, oh, can can I have, can I have it both ways? Can't I, you know, heal my relationship with food and like keep this teeny tiny micromanaged, you know, accept, socially acceptable body size. But what that would do is it would actually have us miss a big chunk of the healing journey, because so much of the healing journey is the surrendering. It's the unconditional acceptance of your body. It's the promise to your body that if you change body, you know, if you change in, you know, a couple of years, in one year, in five years, 10 years through whatever life brings me, menopause, pregnancy, injury, you know, health problems, whatever I, I have already committed to 
to loving you and accepting you and trusting you and taking care of you. And I'm proving it to you by doing that right now. And by facing my fear, facing my fear of gaining weight in a culture that doesn't let us essentially, or, or doesn't make us feel like that's something that we're allowed to do or something that's safe or responsible. So I really think it's an important part of the process for that alone to like, I think that if we were able to get to the other side, maintaining our tiny body, we would still be afraid of what would happen if we lost that body. And to me, that's also not food freedom. So I really think it's the most important part of the entire thing. I agree with you because I think, and you mentioned earlier as well, when you're talking about the book, that it's inherently about building trust with yourself and trust with your body. And that knowing that your body is likely to fluctuate with different life circumstances is, I think, really reassuring. Um, And, and, you know, I almost expect that to happen now. And I think that expectation takes away so much pressure that I put on myself that like, I'm going to say this one size, this one person forever. And if I deviate from that, then I failed in some way. Um, But taking that pressure away is actually so freeing beyond my relationship with food. Just in general, it's like, oh, I'm not freaking out. I'm not panicking because I know that's what bodies do. I know that's what my body does. Um, And I trust that it's doing its best for me in any kind of given moment. Yeah. Um, And yeah, that, that letting go. And I, and I think we should say that's probably easier for us being in, you know, a small body than privilege is real. We both have it. And so it's easier for us to accept that weight gain. And I, and I completely appreciate that if people are in larger bodies, then they know, sadly, the truth is there is privilege to be gained for being in a small body. And, you know, to lose that is, is hard. Um, and something that I, I can't relate to, but it's so, so I think we've got to like allow that nuance, but at the same time, there's a peace within yourself that knows that if you are able to accept that, Mm -hmm. despite what anyone else thinks, if you're able to accept that, then at least, you know, that's like, that's one less voice to deal with in your head. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And we can't minimize the pain of truly being treated horribly and have people make assumptions about you and often be treated as a second-class citizen, um, that will always be painful and, and doing the work to come to a place of, of acceptance will just like you said, one last voice. And also if you don't believe what the cruel people are doing and thinking it, it has less, less power to quote unquote trigger you because it's not triggering this, this deep, like fear that you have within you. It's, it's able to, in some ways, kind of not, not affect you as much. It'll always be painful when someone's an asshole, (laughs) it'll always be painful, but, um, but it's let go of it quicker. Yes, because you have already done the work. You already know deep within you that that person is a confused person and this is a big shame. But um, Mm. so for anyone, I really truly believe that it's worth going through this process. And then of course, 
you know, looking to the people often on the internet, authors who are in larger bodies, who can speak to the parts of the process that you and I cannot speak to firsthand. Is it really important and helpful as well? A, a thousand, a thousand percent. Um, so tired as fuck, when did you start writing that? And what was the motivation? Because you fucking it, it came out and then did you start writing straight away? I, I started, I started trying to fit. Yes, I did start writing I would say that summer after, so it came out in March and then, you know, it was a very bizarre, very bizarre experience. I, I wonder how you feel about this when your book came out. I really did. I know better than this. I even wrote about it in the book. Like, you know, you never arrive, you know, there's only, if you think you're going to get to a place and feel this like content, you know, feel content for the rest of your life, you're fooling yourself. But I did have this subconscious feeling that once my book came out, like I would feel different and it was the opposite. It came out and I was like, what, like, what am I supposed to be doing? (laughs) Like, Like, what do I do now? Like what, what, what's, what's next? Why, you know, it was a very bizarre experience. And, and as it was happening, I was like, Oh, Caroline, you like, you could have, you could have predicted this, you know, like you, you know, better than this. But, um, so I went through a little bit of a, okay, all right, this is life. This is life. And then that summer, um, I, I really, I didn't know exactly what the book was going to be, but I knew I wanted it to be a little bit more storytelling, a little bit more personal storytelling, a little bit more like storytelling humor. And I knew that, well, another thing is my agent was always so excited by the idea of rest. Cause what, even while I was writing the fuck it diet, I was actually during my quote unquote, two years of rest. Yes. And so, you know, so it made it into the book, of course, cause I was like in it and it was like the kind of like the next, the next healing phase for me after healing my relationship with food and body was healing my relationship with productivity and guilt over resting and feeling like, like I was never allowed to relax. That was like a couple of years later, I was like, oh, okay. I still have a lot of beliefs to work through about all of these other areas of my life. So she was always so, she was like, this is so exciting. Like we're all so tired, like, you know, and so she was excited about that. So I was wanting to write a book about, you know, about my experience with, um, with dieting and with self-help and with all the not so things that I believed and tried. And she was like, but the book should also be about rest. And I was like, okay, I get, I get why, but I didn't, I didn't feel like I had another self-help book in me. Um, the fuck a diet is like self-help anti-self-help, but it's definitely like a humorous self-help book, you know? And I was, I was very daunted, uh, to write, to try, to try and take on another self-help book. I knew that I had some things to say that could potentially be helpful or help people reflect or help people see themselves in my experience and cultural commentary about why we're doing this. And, you know, you know, what we little things we can do about it, but I, I knew that I wanted it to be more memoir, more storytelling than self-help. I actually got super uncomfortable being someone who people thought could answer all of their questions about life and, and, and food. Like I, it's strange. It got to a point where 
I wanted to be like, I don't have all that. Like, I don't have all the answers. I have some, I have some advice. I, I have some advice and I really stand by that advice, but you think that I can like fix your life. And I, I can't, you know? So I was like doing this backtracking of like, can I just be a storyteller? <laughs> like, can I just, you know, tell, tell stories that people resonate with. Um, and so that's what I really wanted. Ooh, that's what I really wanted to do. And so I started, and I originally thought that the book was going to be called two years of rest because that's what I had just, I had just ended my two year, my two years of rest, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit. And I talk about it a lot in the book. Um, and then I started writing and it became very clear to me. And then I actually got, I got the second book deal literally the day before New York shut down. So it was like very bizarre timing. I was so thankful because I had, first of all, I made some money (laughs) to like get me through that first year of the pandemic and, you know, to write the book that was like the advance. And I had a focus. I could stay home. I could work on this thing. Um, but a very bizarre experience to write a book, um, about your own experience and about rest while the world is shut down. Like it was, it was, it was hard to know how much to talk about, uh, quarantine and what people were going through then, or when the book comes out, or is this going to be like two years in the past? And you know, it was a very, it was weird. like, I didn't know how much to address it. And so I would put it in and then I would take it out and then I would put it in again. And I like, but, um, very quickly, a couple months into trying to continue writing the book, I was like, this shouldn't be called two years of rest. Cause this is the two years of rest comes near the end of the book. This is really about getting exhausted and all the things that we, that we take on or the, the things that we don't examine, the beliefs that we don't examine that keep us feeling exhausted and guilty for resting. Um, and so we changed it from two years of rest to tired as fuck. <laughs> I think it's a perfect title. Um, and I, I want to talk about the, um, I think with it, so as we're recording, we're not technically 2022, but this is coming out in January. Right. And so I think this time of year is a time when everyone is like, right, I'm going to reset my life. I'm going to become this really productive human who has their shit together in all aspects and I'm just going to have this complete personality transplant and and we put this huge pressure on ourselves to make these drastic changes um when if you're like me old habits old habits die extremely hard Mm -hmm. um and so what is the kind of tired as fuck perspective on new year's resolutions on I mean do you make new year's resolutions do you think they can be helpful do you you know what is that perspective on you know wanting to start a new year fresh without kind of feeding into that like yeah I totally totally understand the impulse to want to start a new year fresh to be like I'm letting go of all the old I'm going to be a new person. Just like you said that like, not only am I going to change up my habits, but I'm going to be a new person. My personality is going to change. I'm going to be like more fun and more, you know, I don't know, 
optimistic and relaxed and my, all my anxiety is going to go away. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to decide. No more anxiety. Here. Exactly. Wouldn't that be <laughs> nice? I would Wouldn't love to do that. Money on therapy? And I've tried it many times and it has not worked. Um, I, at this point, I do not set new year's resolutions though. I'm not against it. If people come from a, first of all, a, um, a realistic, uh, you know, a realistic place have realistic expectations of what actually can be accomplished and what is a reasonable expectation. Um, and reminding ourselves constantly that little changes, even big changes, habit changes, you know, letting things go, starting new things, they can be amazing. They can change our lives. They can improve our lives for the better. Like there's no part of me that's like, don't try, don't have goals, don't care about anything. Like, I don't think that that's helpful either, but what usually ends up happening and we can use dieting and weight loss as a really good example is that we think, you know what? I've, I've let myself go. I've, you know, I've been so terrible with my eating this entire year, or I've been so terrible with my eating these past couple months. And this is my chance to totally turn everything around, to start going to the gym every day, to start eating whatever, whatever you think is like the, the way you should be eating. And I'm going to be perfect about it. And I'm going to be a new person. I'm going to be a new person. We have to remember that first of all, nothing is a cure-all, nothing. And we get into a lot of trouble. And I'm speaking from personal experience when we find something new that promises to totally change your life. And we're like, this is it. This is going to do it. Like this is, and I don't know, you can cut this out if you want. <laughs> I don't, cause this is, I'm going to literally talk about illegal drugs right now, but I've been hearing a lot of people, um, you know, and therapists, you know, there's all this research on uh, psilocybin that like helps to like, can be like a really great treatment for anxiety and depression. It's psychedelic. It's psychedelic. Yeah. 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 But like micro, well, I think there's two methods you can microdose where you don't really feel it, but it's supposed to do something, or you can like do therapeutic, like mm-hmm. macro doses or whatever. And I watched this documentary about it. And I was like, I, my, my brain first went to, this is going to change my life. If I do this, I'm not going to feel anxiety anymore. And then I, And I think, you know, it potentially could really be helpful. Maybe it really could be a therapy that's amazing. And I think it's worth, you know, trying for some people. I'm going to maybe try it. Um, But I had to very quickly remind myself, you are still going to be a human with a human brain and a human nervous system. Maybe it will help a little bit. Maybe it'll be a cool experience. Maybe you'll get some relief, but to expect that this is going to completely change your life and you're going to be a totally different person and everything's going to be easy. Like that is the trap that I fall into. And that I think a lot of people fall into. And it's what happens with going back to the new year's resolution to diet and exercise and become extremely tiny and beautiful and healthy and, and never feel anxiety again. It doesn't happen like that. Like it, 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 it's, it's expecting too much. And then what usually happens is we go like so hard, you know, we're like, this is like, I, I am a new person and I'm going to like cut out all carbs or I'm going to be like, so, you know, we go really extreme with new year's resolutions often. And that is 
where we really get into trouble because that has nowhere to go, but to be too much to keep up with, to be too intense, to overwhelm us, to burn us out on the, you know, on the change and to backfire. And then with diet and exercise, add in the fact that your body literally, like actually literally fights back, like different from like, Oh, I'm going to start going to a cooking class every, every week, you know, like your body's not going to fight back against the cooking class unless you're physically burnt out and exhausted and you don't have the energy, but with dieting and exercise, we have this biological protective mechanism that literally will make us more obsessed with food, binge more on food, make us more exhausted. So going to the gym is way harder. And again, living in this culture where we don't really understand that, that's why the, you know, that's why we're all, so many of us are in this horrible relationship with food and exercise, but especially at the new year, we're like, why can't I do this? I tried last year and I was so good for two weeks. And then I, and then I totally lost it, but I'm going to try again this year, not realizing that it's just like, it's just meant to, meant to fail, honestly. Yeah. It's, it's the time for all or nothing. It really is. Yeah. It's like yeah. either completely on the wagon and the wagon mm-hmm. is like the super restrictive place where you have a million rules and you have all these things. And then you clearly, I don't even think it's an individual blame. I think we societally set people up for failure because yeah. we know diets don't work long-term. We know that part, but also we just put so much pressure on ourselves. And we know that once it hits February 1st, chances are, we're not going to be able to keep it up because it's, yeah. we put way too much on our plate, way too much to, to try and manage and deal with. And like you say, this whole idea of like, I'm going to be a completely different person and I'm going to make this such, such a drastic shift in this one month is, is not going to be a sustainable long-term approach. If you're wanting to make changes to your, you know, your lifestyle, when it comes to exercise, you know, from an exercise perspective, it's like, I'm going to work out six times a week and I'm going to get up at 6am every day. And I'm going to go and run five miles. And, and yeah, like, understandably you're exhausted. The alarm goes off on that third day and you're like, I'm right. Sore, I'm tired. It's dark, right. It's cold. Right. I'm not doing it. And then yeah. you don't do anything. Right. And then it's exactly. Like, okay, but, but we need to find this middle ground. Right. Of, of finding, you know, that place. Um, and you know, I too talk about um, a, pe- a pendulum of healing from uh, a disordered relationship with exercise. Mm-hmm. And that, pe- that pendulum has to swing really hard to mm-hmm. rest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and kind of inspired by you, I like to call it the fuck it phase. Yeah. Like, you know, you've, gotta, you've just got to embrace that rest period but yes we're so scared of rest yes you know I wonder if people will be making resolutions this year like I'm gonna allow more time for rest in my life and like that could be something that you could do but why are we so scared of rest Mm, why are we so scared of nothing there are there are a couple reasons the first reason is that we all have this subconscious and it's and you know, running parallel to our relationship with food, you know, to compare like with food, we have, we all have this subconscious, you know, without examining the diet culture that we live in and what we've learned, we have this belief that allowing yourself to get full, to follow your cravings, to trust your body, to eat a lot of food is irresponsible. And so we're petrified of letting ourselves do that. And so we rarely do. Or when we start to heal and we see that it seems too intense because it's that fuck it phase 
And no one's ever told us that that's okay. And that that's a, it's a very normal and important part of the process. We get terrified and we're like, oh, this, this isn't going to work for me because I, I'm clearly like super out of control. Also it's people a, think it's not a phase. They think that is it forever. And I think right. That's, that's right. the issue as well. It's like, I'm going to be there forever. And it's like, no, you're just no. resetting yes. to get to a middle ground. Yes. Yes. And that's what I think people really need to hear from people who've been through it. Yeah. You know, I think that that's so important. So bringing it back to rest, there's a very, very similar dynamic where we have learned that it is not responsible mm. to rest, that it means that something is horribly wrong, being tired and giving into it. It means that something is wrong. Like you just said, it means this is it. I'm never going to do anything again. I'm never going to be motivated again. I'm never going to have energy again. I can't allow this. I can't allow this. Why am I so tired? Why am I so tired? And so we push through and what happens then is you either stay in that cycle of exhaustion where you're never fully letting yourself actually rest and recuperate and repair and get to a more middle ground, or you go so hard that you burn out even more like burnout in a physical or emotional or spiritual way. And so, so that is one of the reasons why we're so afraid. It's because it feels, we, we've learned that it's irresponsible to rest. We've learned that we don't, we shouldn't need rest. We should be able to just push through. You slept, if you slept, you know, seven, eight hours last night, why do you need more rest? Aren't you, you know, we don't understand. We don't understand how it works. We don't understand how burnout works. We don't understand that it's cumulative. It can be emotional. It doesn't just have to be physical. That can affect your physical body as well. Physical will affect emotional. We don't have an understanding of how it works. We don't think we're allowed to. We think it's irresponsible. We think there's something wrong. And so we don't let ourselves. And then the other reason, the other big reason is because in downtime, when we actually allow downtime or when we actually take that time to quote unquote, do nothing or to do less or to have quiet moments where we're not scrolling our phone constantly, where we're just lying there, or, you know, some people try to meditate, whatever it is where you actually slow down and are not constantly filling your time with activity or constantly filling your brain with, you know, nonstop thoughts or nonstop planning or whatever it is to like, keep you distracted. If we have stuff that needs to be worked through, like emotional stuff or emotions or trauma, that's when it's going to rear its head and it's going to be really uncomfortable. We're going to think again, Ooh, I can't, I can't do this. Like something is wrong. You know, like this is uncomfortable. This isn't right. It felt better when I was just distracting myself and go, go, go. So I'm going to go back to that. And it's not usually conscious. It's usually totally subconscious. There's this discomfort don't want to feel this. And so we go. And again, as a culture, we don't have the awareness. Like we just don't, why don't we learn this in school? I don't know, but we don't have the awareness around how our emotions work. What, what will happen when we, you know, have downtime that it's okay. Again, just like, again, this is another, um, this is another parallel to healing from dieting with emotions, when these uncomfortable emotions like pain, sadness, anger, stuff that we haven't known how to deal with, haven't known that we had to deal with, haven't maybe haven't even known was there. When those things bubble up, when you finally give them a chance to, we think, oh no, 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 this is bad. If I start to feel this, that's going to become me. I'm going to be angry. 
sad, whatever. I'm going to feel these horrible emotions for the rest of my life. They're going to consume me. I'm going to become this person, you know, swallowed by my emotions. I'm going to feel this way forever. I cannot do it. I cannot allow this. And so we, we don't. And again, it's usually a very subconscious process where we're like, Ooh, Ooh, I don't like that. Like, let's go exercise or let's go like whatever, go, let's go, you know, and that's a lot, a big reason why people, you know, engage in, you know, drugs and alcohol and anything yes. to anything to numb, but numb, anything to numb. But a lot of us with food and exercise issues are using dieting and exercise. And then, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, well I use food to numb, but for us in our culture, what's really common is using dieting to numb. And then that's like the big, the big distraction is the, the pendulum that just never ends the yo-yo that never ends. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, that is our addiction, you know, that is our way of, of numbing. Um, and then the slowing down is the opportunity to let those things come up. So really great idea to have a good therapist or anyone who you believe is able to help guide you through the process, the processing experience, like the processing of the stuff that needs to be felt and dealt with and, you know, and healed. Um, some people can do it on their own. It just depends on, it depends on what you're dealing with. Um, but it's always a good idea to have professional support to help, you know, to help guide you through, but that is a huge reason why people are avoiding rest. And again, it's usually not conscious. And then it doesn't help that our culture tells us that being constantly busy and productive is the most responsible and wonderful thing that we can do. And we're rewarded for it in a million ways. So why wouldn't we? The only thing that stopped me was legit physical burnout where I like was having trouble keeping my eyes open. And I was like, okay, something, something is not right. Yeah, exactly. I think it's so important what you're saying about that emotional aspect. And, you know, I've spoken about it online. I've kind of spoken about it previously on the podcast as well, that like, I think diet culture teaches us to use food and exercise as a distraction. And we, we learn to use it as like a coping mechanism that often turns into a very unhealthy coping mechanism right? Um, to try and distract ourselves from these uncomfortable feelings that we don't know how to feel. And we don't, like you say, you might not even know they're there, but you know right. that you don't want to feel them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's interesting that whilst for some people, their distraction may be food and exercise you're right others others will be drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. um there will be other ways that people try to you know some people are workaholics and they yeah. just keep themselves busy all the time they always have a to-do list they always are constantly seeing people like you know a huge mm-hmm. huge social life which yeah. you think having a massive social life would be an amazing thing and it's not that it's not great to have friends but right. if you realize that you never schedule in downtime for yourself because mm-hmm. if you stopped you don't know how you could you don't know how to, you don't know how to stop and you know right. what would happen if you stopped right and just had a day for yourself to like have no plans and just sit with your yeah. stuff like these are all ways that we don't allow ourselves to rest because being with your emotions and just being general mm-hmm. is so hard. Um, and I, I don't know, if we may have brought this up last time we spoke even, but now I love listening to podcasts. I mean, I make a podcast, but I also love listening to them. Mm-hmm. And I do find that for a lot of tasks I don't like doing, I 
I often put in a podcast kind of like yeah I do too <laughs> I was listening to another podcast where they said that someone um they like I knew I had a problem when I was like desperately searching for a podcast to like take the bins out which is the trash basically to literally just walk out your house to go for like a two second walk just so you had you couldn't be alone with your own brain yeah and it's like got to that point and I'm not sitting here on a I'm not sitting here on my high horse and saying I'm better than anyone else at this because this is me too same and my relationship with my phone is gonna need yeah a serious overhaul and I do it in little spurts and then I re and then I quote unquote relapse back into like, just, I mean, Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you. Like, you know, if I am going to set, I don't like necessarily resolutions, but intentions for the year, it is mm-hmm. going to be getting just a little bit more discipline around using my phone because when I, and you know, what's interesting is when I'm left alone to my own devices, especially when my partner's not here, mm-hmm. like he's been on some business trips recently. I will I will have no boundaries with my phone. It will be, I'll be on there way later than I thought. I'll get nothing done. And it's like there. And in that instance, it's like, I have opportunity to be on my own, be with my thoughts, just exist. And yet I must watch another TikTok. Like, yeah, no, I know. And and it is designed to, to, to be addictive. It is, it is. And, and, and again, like, just like all these things, like, there's not like, there's nothing wrong with exercise. Exercise is great, but you can, you can abuse it. You know, yeah. there's nothing wrong with working and having goals and liking being productive, but you can abuse it. There's nothing wrong with having a phone, using a phone, having social media, scrolling your phone. It's fine. It's morally neutral. It can be a really fun, fun thing to do. Great way to connect with people. It can be creative, but you can abuse it. And I do. Yes. <laughs> Can't relate on that. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing, and it's like we don't. (laughs) And this this is another point I wanted to bring up for the for those of us who have kind of got to a good place with our relationship with food and our body and and exercise. We don't have that to hyper fixate on anymore. So it's like, well, what else can we? I'm gonna shift my attention because you know I have I've been to therapy. I I've really tried to feel my feelings and stuff. Right. You know, there's still difficult things that you know I know for sure. So it's like. Well, what else can I distract myself with? You know, other people are right. shopping, you know, stuff right. like that, whatever it is. Right. We just shift our attention until there's nothing left to do. And then we're forced to take a two years of rest, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Don't get to that point. Yes. Like if we can avoid that point. I mean, there were great things about it. I learned so much. Um, and and it really like my two, it's not that I didn't do anything during the two years of yes, rest. I, I couldn't afford that. Yeah define your two years of rest because in my eyes I'm thinking two years of rest right like the grandparents and Charlie and the chocolate family. yes yes just staying in bed it's waiting on you you have no obligations you have no work commitments you're able to just exist right what? wouldn't that be great and yet oh, I don't I think mean, it would actually teach us it would teach us something it would definitely teach us something we would have to deal with all the inner you know we would probably process a lot yeah but there is something to be said for learning how to go about real life, like the life that's messy, the life that's busy, the life that, you know, has to juggle a million things. And exist in a society that's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. Exactly. Exactly. How can I still be a person living in the modern world who honors rest, who 
looks at things in a new way, who, who lets themselves off the hook. That was my big thing. That was what I realized before I started my two years of rest. I realized that for the past, at least 15 years at that point, since I was like a, a teen, you know, a teenager, I never, ever, ever believed that I was allowed to relax. So even when I was relaxing, whatever that looked like, when I was avoiding things, when I was like binging on, you know, TV, which again, morally neutral, I love TV, but when I was doing these things to- I know you love Real Housewives and we have to bring that up at some point. We have to bring it up because I just saw that you're watching Salt Lake City. City. Yes, yes, we need to talk about it. (laughs) We need to talk about it. I'm halfway through the, well, we'll we'll circle back to that for sure. Um, But when I, you know, when I was relaxing, whatever whatever I thought that was, I, I wasn't. I was constantly feeling guilty. Guilty, nervous about what I was supposed to be doing, I just, I, and again, I didn't have any awareness around this. It's not like I was like, ah, I'm a person, you know, at 16, oh, I'm a person who, you know, when I give myself a morning off or when I have a, a, you know, a Saturday off where I don't have to be going to some singing competition or whatever, I was constantly doing stuff. Um, I'm not really letting myself relax. Like there was none of that. There was just this like low grade terror and dread and like this, like squeeze, like, that's the only way I can think back to like, how did, how was I going through life? It was like, it was like, Oh, here we go. Like that was the way I did everything with no awareness around it. I was just surviving. I was just surviving. I didn't have any better coping skills other than numbing out, obsessing over dieting, thinking that I was going to find a diet and a self-help book that was going to change my life, take away all my anxiety. And then I would live beautiful and la di da. Like that was that was my mode. And I had very little awareness because I just channeled it all into these methods to numb. And other people will do that. You know, start as a teenager with alcohol and drugs. I didn't. I was like this little goody two-shoes who was afraid about my health. But I was like, I mean, my addiction was, I was just going to say drugs and alcohol. My diet diet, exercise, and just distraction. I mean, I, I lived in the fantasy world too. Like I totally just like checked out from my real life. And I was like, this is great. Like, I'm just going to live in a fantasy world all the time. I'm not going to like, think about what's really happening. I'm just going to like live in la la land. And so I had this realization. I was 28 at the time. And I was like, Oh, okay. I've been doing this for a long time. And it is a big part of my burnout and it's nothing that anyone would have been able to see. Like it's, it wouldn't have been obvious from the outside. Like, Oh, Caroline is doing so much. I wasn't doing more than anyone else. I wasn't, I just, the way I was operating within my own psyche and within my own subconscious and within my own body, even I never relaxed and I never believed I was allowed to. And I never, ever let myself off the hook. And then going through the healing process with food and exercise, it was definitely like, I definitely became a lot kinder to myself. I let myself physically rest. Um, I did a lot of examining of my beliefs about worth and beauty and 
um, and weight and health and all of this stuff. So it's not that I didn't have like a significant healing from that. It's just that I realized that there was so much more and that you were just scratching the surface really. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I realized, oh, okay. So for the past five years, I've been channeling a a lot, uh, a lot more anxiety into work, into becoming a writer into this like little, you know, I didn't plan on it, but I all of a sudden had this little online business called the fuck it diet. And I was like, wow, this is cool. Like, this is neat. This is, this is like a, such a creative like outlet. And I just like worked nonstop. And it was all, like, I can't say it was inherently bad. It was great in some ways. It like probably got me where I am. It Um, I learned so much. I had a great time, you know, doing a lot of the the things that I was doing and I was just working so late. I, I was constantly checking email. I was, I was my own assistant. I was like, I just never was able to just put down my phone and close my computer and be like, work is done for the day or work is done for the week. It was never, ever done. And I didn't have any awareness around that either. And I just want to say that like the way that I was operating may, or the, the, the way that I wasn't letting myself rest may be very different from someone else who's listening to this. Like they will have to think like, Oh, maybe how am I doing this? Like, what's the way that I'm not letting myself stop or not letting myself off the hook. Like it, it probably, you know, if they're not a small business owner, they may not have this particular, you know, experience, but maybe they do with the job that they have, or maybe they do with, anything else that they fill their time with. I think one um, of the key things you said is that lack of boundaries around like yes. just in general, like yes. always being yes. available to work, always being mm-hmm. available for, and not having any boundaries. And, um, you know, fortunately another, you know, working for myself and okay. having that opportunity, I've been able to input, input boundaries this year. One of my things that I've tried to do the last few months is give myself Fridays to just be, which is so great. Yeah, I'm just, I mean, it's not kind of happened because I just had the journal come out. So that kind right. of went out the window. Right, sure. The month leading, you know, the like six weeks leading up to that. Um, but generally on Fridays now, I don't work and I just, I often have plans now to go and do something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but that has been a very new thing of figuring out what that is for me in my life, you know. But right. knowing that I can get, can get to six o'clock, seven o'clock and I go, I don't need to respond to this until tomorrow now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that those boundaries, I think, when you know you're not, when you, those are not in place and you're always available and it's 11 o'clock and you're responding to that email or it's, you know, 2 a.m. or whatever, mm-hmm. that's that's the red flag. Yeah, and, it, and it's stemming from a lot of times this subconscious lack of trust, right? It's like, if I don't do this right now, everything's going to fall apart. You know, if I don't, if I don't like manage this now, you know, I, I don't, I don't have the luxury to relax. And there are instances where that's true, but for the most part, it's just something that we're perpetuating and kind of doing to ourselves. There, there are definitely way more times than not where it, it is not as urgent as we are treating it, you know? Um, and yeah, that's something that I did too. I hired a, a, a virtual assistant. I, you know, and I was like, I can't afford that. I'm not making enough money to hire a virtual assistant. Like I was doing it all myself. And, and again, 
There were great things about doing it myself. I learned so much. I know how to work the back end of things. I know how to work the back end of my website and my email list and all of this stuff. But at a certain point, I was like, I don't, I actually don't have to be the one doing this little thing. And, you know, the great thing about virtual assistants is they have many different people that they work for. So you're not, it's not like you're like paying someone a full salary. You're, you know, you're paying them what for the time that you, that you need them. And it just gave me, it was just one of the little things that I did to put up a boundary was like, I don't have to be the one responding to all these emails. I don't have to be the one checking all these emails. Like it, it was a huge, huge, huge level up for me. So, or just, or a huge boundary for me to just be like, okay, I can put some distance between myself and work and all these emails that I'm getting. So how else did you implement rest in that two years? What were the other kind of key points you wanted to hit um, to make space for rest? Yeah, well, there was a lot. And, And so my disclaimer is, you know, I overhauled a lot of things and I changed a lot of things in my life. And anyone who's listening, if they are feeling like they are burnt out or they want more rest or they want to change, you do not have to do what I did. You do not have to overhaul your entire life, move cities, change jobs in order to create more peace in your life. You don't. Um, all we have to do is check in with where we are. What are we doing? What is, what is depleting us? What are we dreading? Are those things that we can shift our relationship with? Are those things that we can quit or temporarily quit or reschedule? You know, so really it's like, it's a, it's a journey that meets everyone where they are and like what is possible for them. But what I did, (laughs) I, um, I decided that, so at the time I was still living in New York. I was still trying to be a musical theater actress, trying to be on Broadway, going to all of these auditions, all of these classes, all of these agent showcases. I was like, I was real. And I'm glad that I did it again, because now I can say like, I really did try and it almost destroyed me, you know? Um, but I was really, and I was doing all the stuff with the fuck a diet. And I was like, and I was coaching kids on monologue. Like I was, I was literally doing like so many jobs. And I finally got to a point where I was like, okay, this is, this is not making me happy. Like this is giving me so much more stress than, than it's worth at this point. I wake up every day feeling dread. I wake up every day thinking about all the things that I should be doing that I don't want to do. And so much of me staying in, in, in theater at that point was this expectation that I had taken on that I could do it, that I could hack it, that I could be on, on Broadway, just like all my high school classmates said that I would like, did on some level, I thought that they actually cared that, that I would be like letting them down. If I, you know, finally quit and was like, this is not, this is not making me happy at this point. This is not good for my nervous system. There's just something about who I am that does not thrive on going to two auditions every morning for the rest of my life. Like, this is just not it. This is not it for me. And it took a lot. It took a lot for me to get to that place where I was willing to let it go because it was hard and I do love it in so many ways. And I, you know, I was having little successes here and there, but it wasn't, it just, it, it wasn't serving me anymore. So I made the decision. I'm going to quit. 
I'm really going to quit. And, you know, who knows, maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll do a little bit here and there, but I'm not going to seek this anymore because going to auditions is my least favorite thing in the world. And I'm choosing it as my job. Like what? Like (laughs) for people who don't know performance, like the performing part is actually about 5% of the job yeah. and the 90 other 95% is auditions. Yes. <laughs> and and if you a professional auditioner. Yeah. And if you don't like auditions, which I did not, yeah. and I had like a major stress response every time I would go. And again, it was this thing like, Oh, if I can just be skinnier, if I can just be prettier, if I can just figure out this or that, it'll heal my audition anxiety. And then I will be this happy, perfect person who is on whatever. It was all that like, if I just can figure this out, I will be like such a happy person. And I, and I tried, I tried, I tried a lot of things and it didn't work. And I had, I finally admitted it to myself and I finally realized the amount of relief, like true relief. I would feel if I took that entire career off my plate and I did, I felt amazing. I felt, I felt so good. Like I, I really had a year, I had two years, but it was the two years of rest. But I really like in that shift, I would wake up and be like, oh, it feels so good not to feel like I I'm missing four auditions. Cause I just don't want to go and like being mad at myself. And like, that was my life for such a long time. So the relief I felt was so real. So amazing. I also decided to move from New York to Philadelphia, which is it's two hours South. It's another you know, major city, but it's not nearly as big as New York. And it's closer to where I'm from. I'm from like outside Philadelphia. So I had a lot of friends there. I even had theater contacts there. I'd done a lot of theater in Philadelphia. It's a lot more affordable. It's a lot slower pace. I, I couldn't afford to rest in New York. I couldn't, I couldn't nature of the city for people who aren't. Yeah. Yeah. It's so expensive. I know, you know, that living in London, it's just, it's so expensive. And if what I really want, one of the things I wanted to do is to take on less jobs. Cause I was freelancing at that point, but I was like, I am really burning the candle at both ends and I'm doing, I'm doing things that I don't really love doing anymore. Like I was coaching one-on-one and I was like, I don't think this is really like what I meant to be doing. I want to do more writing, more group programs. So it was like, can I let go of, of some streams of income and have more space and have more time to be creative or, and see what comes up, have more time to rest, have more downtime. I couldn't do that in New York. So I moved to a more affordable city, a slower city, slower pace life. Um, and immediately like so many things were like, I didn't have to take public transportation anymore. I'd been taking it, you know, multiple times a day for 10 years. And the subway system in New York is amazing, but I lived really, really, really far uptown. And if I wanted to get like, it was just, it was just like so much, it was constant stress. It was like, oh, great. It's 1130 and I need to go home and I'm either going to stand here underground waiting 45 minutes for a subway, or I'm going to pay $55 to take a cab back uptown. Like it was just, it was nonstop. And there were, so in making that choice and again, leaving New York was something that I was never going to do. I'm never going to be one of those people that fails and like has to admit defeat and has to leave New York. Like I was, you know, that's a very New York attitude too. Like people who live there are like, this is the best city in the world. And anyone who can't make it here is like a loser or whatever. Um, and finally got to that point where I was like, well, I am caring more about my quality of life and my nervous system 
and my peace and my ability to actually take care of myself and not dread every moment of my life. And that is moving to a new city. And so there were some big, big changes, you know, big changes that I took on. But then once I got there and once I, you know, settled in, it was about, okay, so I have to keep working, you know, you know, and I liked what I did. So I got rid of the things, the jobs that were more stressful to me or more depleting to me. And then I was able to focus on the stuff that I really did enjoy, which another thing that kind of ties in here is I had been really, really into the book, um, the life-changing magic of tidying up, which is that book by Marie Kondo about decluttering and it's about decluttering stuff. And so I did it. I did like her, you know, really, it's a really kind of extreme method where you, you know, you really get rid of everything that doesn't spark quote unquote spark joy. And I loved it. Like I thought it was so cool. It really did make me feel lighter, just getting rid of stuff. But it was also the time where I was super burnt out on so many things that I was doing. And I was like, what if I did this with all of the other things in my life and all of my jobs? Like, can I apply this? Does this spark joy thing to more of my life? And so that's what I, that's kind of what I was doing. And again, it really, it really helped. Like I I got to a place where I was like, I actually really enjoy what I'm doing. And I, and I, and now I have room to take on other things that I also enjoy doing. Um, and then what I had to start doing was figuring out, you know, a lot of my exhaustion was social. I had a lot of social exhaustion. I had a lot of physical exhaustion and I had a lot of exhaustion from, like, I really didn't feel right when I drank. And I, you know, one of my favorite things in New York had been to go out to dinner with friends and have a, have a couple glasses of wine, but I was reaching this place of physical burnout where I, I really didn't feel like I could continue doing that. And I didn't know if it was forever. I didn't know if it had to be a, you know, a, a period of taking a break from drinking and taking a break from like extreme socializing. I mean, we're talking like, again, like I talked about the, you know, taking the subway back up at 1130 at night, but like performing in bar basements, doing improv, like with my improv team, like at midnight. And like, I was just, I was, had been doing so much for so long. And again, I don't regret it. It was awesome. It was fun. It taught me so much. I'm glad that I did, but I did reach this point where I was like, okay, I I cannot, I cannot keep going at this rate. I just can't. So one of the things that I also decided to do, and this, again, this is me personally, there are people who are listening to this, who don't have this problem, who don't feel this way, who, who need more time going out, socializing with their friends. Like everyone has a different mode of rest and a different need for rest that they, that they're, you know, depending on where they are in their life and what's going on. I needed to start saying no to a lot of social, social engagements. I needed like a lot of downtime physically and I needed to take a break from drinking. And I didn't like, I can't say that I like never drank once over those two years. I definitely would have like a little glass of wine here and there. It didn't make me feel great. It really messed up my sleep. Like, I think my like 
adrenals or like all, my whole nervous system was like totally dysregulated and drinking just like made, made it worse for me. And so I got to this place where I was like, I literally feel so bad from even just having like a glass or two of wine that it's not even that hard to, to not have it. But what is hard is going out and socializing and being exhausted and not having alcohol. So I just, I had to overhaul a lot of things. I had to start saying no to a lot of things. There was a lot of stress that came up where I was like, oh my God, like, is it going to be like this forever? Like, am I going to be like a homebody introverted recluse recluse who doesn't want to do anything for the rest of my life? Like, is that going to be okay? Am I going to keep my friends? Am I ever going to like meet someone and like date me? Like, am I like, what's going to, you know, there was a lot of like, it was a lot of the stuff that was coming up, but because I was so deliberate about this being two years of rest and being a healing period and knowing that so much of my stress came from beliefs like that, I was able to identify that and say, okay, this is it. This is the reason that I don't let myself slow down. It's because I'm terrified to, I don't trust that I'm allowed to, I don't trust that life is not going to pass me by. I don't, I don't believe that it's safe or safe, responsible, or, um, or good for me to, to say no to things that I don't have the energy for. I'm, I'm so nervous to, to miss something, to, to lose something, to miss out on something, to miss out on, um, you know, Oh, I have to be going to a bar because I'm single. Like I can't, I can't stay in for, I can't stay in for one night or I can't stay in for two years. Like that was the thing I was going so extreme because I had this anxiety that I was going to miss my life. And so like I did with the fuck it diet, I was like, I got to go in the other direction. Like I got to like really face this head on and like face my fears and, um, and then, and see like what kind of healing that brings me. And the other thing is the reason that I knew that it had to be a long period of time and why I chose two years. And I didn't know, like, I didn't know if that was the right amount of time. I had no idea. It was very arbitrary. Did you have a specific, like on this day, this is it. Like that this is over. You know, what's funny. Yeah. I knew that it was like Memorial in, in the U S Memorial day weekend, which is like, um, it's sometime in may, I think it's like late may. Um, I knew that that's when it started. Cause that was like when I made the decision. And so I casually knew in my mind, like two years from now, late may, my two years will be up. But I actually, I went a little longer. I would say I went like two and a half years because I reached that. And I, and I don't even think I like really clocked it while it was happening. I think maybe we got to April and I was like, well, I'm still going to rest a little bit. Um, because that first year I actually was doing so much more. Like that first year of quote unquote rest, I did so much. Like it, it was not actual physical rest, though my intention was to say no to more things. You know, that's when I moved. That's when I dropped a lot of different jobs that I had. It's when I started saying no to social stuff. It's when I stopped drinking for a while. And, but I was still like, I bought a house. I was, I did do all the theater in Philly. And I like, I was doing all of this stuff. I was writing the fuck it diet book, but I was still trying to carve out this time for rest. And I had a different outlook on everything. So my outlook was how can I get more rest, even though I'm doing all of these things that spark joy. Like that was the thing I was like, Oh shit. I let go of all these things. And now all of these things that I love so much are happening, but it's a lot. So then that second year I was like, okay, now is the time to like, really like actually have to put up the boundaries that I didn't have to put up when I was busy. I could just be like, oh, I'm busy. I can't go out tonight. Then I had to be like, I'm not busy. 
and I'm not going to come out tonight, you know? Um, so it went a, a little bit past the two year mark. And then I was like, already get this 2020. I was like, this is my year. I'm going to start. Back, baby. <laughs> I'm back. I literally said to friends, I was like, I want to start going out for dinners. I miss going out to dinner and having wine in the city. Like that was my favorite activity. And I was so burnt out. And now I'm, now I'm ready. Boom. Great time. COVID. Right. So, but I'll tell you now I'm like ready. I'm like ready to go. So that was the big fear, right? That like I was going to rest. And then I was just going to lie on my couch for the rest of my life and like not be able to do anything ever again. And I can tell you that the rest period, it did what I needed it to do. I really genuinely, just like when you take a rest from exercise, just like when you actually allow yourself to eat food, I got to a place where I just could feel within my body. Like I want to see people. I want to do things. I want to do that. I want to do that. And it wasn't coming from this like nervous place. It was coming from like, I'm rested. (laughs) I rested. Yeah. That's so important. Cause like you said, it so relates to that rest piece when it comes to healing the relationship with exercise and, and eating enough when it comes to food, but, and so much of it is that trust element that knowing your own body element. And I think, you know, part of that physical rest from exercises is, is can be really helpful. Um, but what your sounds like, it was a lot of like an, that emotional side of the rest as well. Yes. I think both of those things really help you know yourself more so that when you're ready to find the middle ground, you're doing it on your terms and you're right. not going to fall back into old habits and old right. thought patterns. Like, you know yourself, you know what's right for you. Um, right. And I know you said um, in the book that you didn't necessarily stop exercising during your two years of rest, because I think people will probably assume that you didn't do any exercise. Right. No, but I definitely- it's a misconception as well. It's a, yes, it's definitely a misconception. And you have to remember that I, five years before that, had already gone through my fuck it diet, which was my healing my relationship with food and exercise. That's when I rested from exercise. Yeah. And I did like, I totally, I had a totally different way of going about exercise. I actually, in the first couple months, I was like, I don't want to stress my body out by like doing too much cart. Like I was like, I like flipped it on its head. Like I really did a lot of rest from exercise until I genuinely wanted to do it with this rest. You know, if someone is about to embark on their own rest journey, they may be in a place where they need to rest from exercise. And so that's going to be a part of it for me. I'd already done that. And yes, I was physically exhausted. It's not like I wasn't physically resting, but, but what I really need, what I really needed was that just like you said, that emotional rest, it's that part where when we let ourselves quote unquote, let ourselves physically rest, but we don't like, or say we take, say we take off a Friday. So we make the decision to have three day weekends or to even just have one three day weekend. So we make the decision to take off a Friday. And we're like, this is going to be great for me. I'm going to rest. I'm going to have downtime. And then we get there. And the entire time we're like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Like I probably should be working. Or I have been there. I have felt that resting, but you're not really resting because you, yes. you're just anxious. Yes. Yes. And the guilt and the, like the, you know, the, Ooh, what, the mental to-do list and the mental being like, oh, you, you, could, exactly. be doing, you could be doing that. You, shouldn't you be doing this? Exactly. And you know, the expectation that you're 
never going to feel that, that you're, that that's just going to totally go away is probably going to lead to feeling like a failure because we're human. Our brains are going to constantly be annoying us for the rest of our lives. Like it's just the way that it is, but especially in the beginning, you know, for me, it was my goal was to know that that anxiety was going to come up to expect it and then to be super aware of it and to actually like work through it. So when those, when that kind of like stress and guilt came up, I was like, ah, there we go. Like, this is, this is the reason that I have never relaxed for 15 years. Like this is the reason. And so having that awareness and having that expectation allowed me to actually have more of an ability to let it go. And then the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with it. And the more you, you allow it and, and trust it and don't have as much of that anxiety that comes up. So that emotional part that like rest is a state of mind that like allow, like actually allowing it. Cause it's the same thing with food, right? If you let yourself eat food, you're going through the, the healing process. I'm going to let myself eat whatever I want, but you feel super stressed and guilty over it the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's totally getting in the way. It's getting in the way of like yeah. the full healing. Same thing with rest. If you're like, okay, I don't have to do anything today, but I'm just going to be stressed about it all day. That's not rest. Like that's, that's an, another stressful experience that you've given yourself. So understanding how much that's going to be a part of it and how most people probably have some work to do around the actual allowing rest, actually allowing it, and then doing the work to work through the anxiety that you're not allowed to rest. I love that. And I think, I hope people listening make, you know, incorporate that rest element into their 2022, um, because even though it feels like we've kind of been resting this last two years with the pandemic, we haven't because there's been a mental load that's come along with that. And, you know, a lot of anxiety and fear. And while we haven't been necessarily doing as much. And it's been forced. I mean, it's been forced. Yeah, it was yeah, not yeah. a choice for, you know, for most of us in most ways, it was like, we don't, we're not choosing a healing period. We're being thrown into this, like, yes. what the hell is going on? So with a ton yeah. of anxiety thrown in there as well. So yes, exactly. how would you, you know, what kind of top tip would you give? Cause I know you don't want the title of guru, but <laughs> <laughs> what top tip would you give for people who are thinking, okay, 2022, I think I need to get a bit more rest in my life. Where do you start? Very, very good question. So one of the things that you can do, and one of the things that I did to kind of rationalize my exhaustion to myself, because one of my big things was what is wrong with me? Why am I so tired? Like this can't be right. Like there must be something there. There must be some hack, you know, there must be, there's must be some flaw with me, like why I'm feeling this way. So what I did is I actually wrote out a list of all of the reasons that I may be depleted, exhausted and burnt out not just from the past year, but from my whole life, (laughs) because there's so much that I hadn't dealt with. And there's so much stress and expectation that I'd taken on that I hadn't unpacked. And that was all underneath my burnout. So when I was able to actually write it all out, and so I, I wrote it as a list. And then I also wrote it as like an open letter to myself and to people who followed me on Instagram, because I had been saying I'm going on two years of rest. And no one was sure whether it was a joke or whether it was serious or why two years. 
And it was a, it was both. It was, it was serious and it was a half joke because it sounds absurd. I'm going on two years of rest. So I wrote this letter explaining to myself and to them why I'm going on rest on, on my two years of rest. And you can read that if you want. Um, I'll send it to you and you can link it in the show notes if you want. So someone can see that and then maybe from there go write their own and it, maybe it'll inspire some of the things because there, I had, again, it was a little epiphany about all the things that can deplete you and not to be like super pessimistic, but I started seeing life as like a series of like potentially exhausting events that I never allowed myself to recover from. So I explained it to myself and I had this sort of like sense of, um, it calmed me down. It like, it actually made it feel like way more legit. And I was able to refer back to it. And it was something, it was like an anchor kind of to, to help me commit to, to bringing more rest into my life and to understanding and kind of honoring the fact that I really was burnt out and that I was allowed to be, and that there were like, there were reasons for it, even if they weren't reasons that other people easily understood or that our culture honors there were reasons. So that's the first thing. The second thing you can do is you can write a list of all of the things in your life that you dread or find depleting and use that list to just take stock. Again, I just want to remind people, you do not, you do not need to go through that list and quit and get rid of all of the things that you dread or that deplete you. There will be things that you absolutely cannot get rid of. There are things that you cannot afford to get rid of. There are a million reasons why we have to often keep doing things that exhaust us, but you can take stock. If there are any things on that list that you actually don't have to do that you are, that you maybe didn't realize depleted you that maybe you um, didn't think that you could let go of, but actually there is something you could do, or maybe I could stop doing that for a couple months. There are little things that you will be able to make even just the tiniest shifts on. And that is where to start because I think expecting someone to do what I did, there will be people who are like, great, this is my permission. I'm going to do a similar thing to what Caroline did. That's great, but that's not possible for everyone. And it's really daunting. Like, you know, maybe you'll get there. Maybe you'll get to totally overhauling your life, but you probably don't want to start there. A lot of people don't want to start there. So start with the tiniest things. And then can you give your, per, yourself permission to let go of some of those things, to change the way you go about some of those things, or to just have more awareness around like, oh, this is like a depleting part of my life. And can I go forward with more awareness around that? I think those are great starting points. And I think it's that sort of Marie Kondoing, isn't it? It's like, does the yeah, thing. seriously. Yeah, yeah. I think that's just like a really simple way to really start thinking about how you want to spend your time this year and, and, you know, what is making you feel good and what is draining you. I saw something, you know, where it's like, what's, you know, what's draining you and what's like nourishing you, watering you, if you think, right, about, you know, right, right. Um, Karen, I want to wrap this up by asking you, what has been your most recent train happy moment? I'm going to tell you, it's the fact that I tell myself all the time that I'm going to stretch and I never do. <laughs> and my, like, I used to do way more yoga and I, you know, you know, I used to be 
dancing all the time. Like there was, I was stretching all of the time. So I didn't have to think about it. Um, but in the past couple of years, it's not been as much a part of my life. And so I go for these walks or these like walk runs or do little, you know, strength training things here and there. And I never stretch and I feel so tight and I feel so like out of whack and I just like never take action on it. I say I will. And then I get home and I'm like, oh, I'm hungry. And I forget. So the other day, two days in a row, I have my yoga mat down there. I just lay down there and I stretched for like 15 minutes and it felt amazing. And it's, it's the kind of thing that like feels so good and it's so good for you. And it's not hard. Like why, why am I resisting it? And it is something that I probably, you know, would enjoy getting into the habit of, of doing, of stretching more often. So I'm feeling pretty good with my two days in a row of stretching. <laughs> well, good luck for the rest of 2022. <laughs> like, you're right though, as we were saying, like the small thing you can start bringing exactly. into your life. There's exactly. like a nice little habit you can bring in. Um, exactly. And yeah, but not bring too much pressure on yourself. Just, you know, right. bring it in as and when. Um, but I really appreciate that. I think often people are like, yeah, I think they think they have to be, you know, it's once again, it's like the all or nothing thing, isn't it? It's like, it has to be this whole big thing or it can just right. be like quick 10, 15 minutes and I'm right. done, which is right. lovely. Right. Um, we could chat forever. I know. And there's so <laughs> many questions I didn't get to today because there's so much to this book, but I just want to really recommend everyone to get the fucking diet. It comes out February the 11th in the US. Is that in the UK as well? Eight. Um, oh, that is a great point. Um, February 8th is when tired as fuck comes out. You said the fuck a diet, but confusing enough. You know what, actually, um, this is something that I should have thought about and it is when it, so I'm still in this period where it's not clear whether there's going to be a UK publisher or whether the U S is going to, um, essentially like export it to the UK until there's a UK publisher. So right now you may, unless something has changed and I don't know it, and it, it's going to be January when people are listening to this. So it could have changed. So you can totally check, um, the UK, Amazon or the UK bookstores and see if it's there. If it's not until it is, you may have to order it from someplace like the book depository, which yeah. Um, it could be, and I'll update you just like before this comes out, I'll just chat with you and tell you what the, the current status is, but it will eventually be available in the UK legit. Um, but right now it's a question of exactly how, and it's a shame and people have been asking me about it and I don't have that much control over it, but you can get the book. It just may not be like super straightforward. We will find ways for people to fill the <laughs> And I, like I said, I know I said the fuck that. I meant tired as fuck, but I really recommend the fucker diet as well. I'm going to link both of those books below. Um, and this should come out before the release date. So pre-orders mean everything to an author. Yes, it, so it really, really, really does. Um, to support Caroline and, and your work. And I just love it. And if you love Caroline and her humor and everything, you're going to really enjoy just reading this. Because it's so your voice, so your storytelling. And I think it's, um, you're discussing, I mean, you're discussing everything from diet culture to, to cults, which I, right. we didn't get to today, which I would have loved. Right. <laughs> I know, I know. Kind of like obsession with hustling and productivity and just all the things that I think we need to be discussing. So congrats. Thank you, Tally. That means so, so much, so much. 
Thank you. And I really hope we get to do this again, but thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is awesome. And that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please let me know by sending feedback. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast. Or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening, as it really, really helps to support and boost the Train Happy message. And remember... If you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com to become the train happy trooper of the week. And if you have a burning question you would like me to answer, then please send those in too. And it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes. Once again, thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.